The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Churchill said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Kevin Hallinan believes that certainly applies to business. Welcome to Winning Business Radio here at W4CY Radio. That's W4CY.com. And now, your host, Kevin Hallinan. Welcome back to Winning Business Radio. I am your host, Kevin Hallinan. Thanks for being here, everybody. The mission of this show, as regular listeners know, is to offer insights and advice to help people avoid the mistakes of others, to learn best practices, the how-tos, the what-tos, the what-not-tos, to be challenged and certainly to be inspired by the successes of others. Every successful person I've ever talked to has had some form of failure in their lives and careers. They could be little, they could be big. So while we all have to get our knees skinned once in a while, I always say, you hear me every week, I'm driven to keep those scrapes from needing major surgery. Let's endeavor to learn from history so we don't repeat it. Today, my guest is Tanya Osensky, attorney at law and author of Shortchanged, Height Discrimination and Strategies for Social Justice. Here's your bio. Tanya Osensky is a results-oriented and proactive business attorney with more than 25 years of experience. She's worked with businesses from startups to established middle market and Fortune 50 companies on a broad range of legal matters, including business transactions, corporate governance, and mergers and acquisitions. She has a solid understanding of the relationship between the law and furthering business interests with proven ability to successfully position organizations for expansion. In her career as an attorney, she's regarded as a key advisor by business owners and senior executives with a focus on strategic problem solving. We'll talk about that. Tanya has spent the first 21 years of her career as an in-house counsel working inside the business with both government entities and multinational corporations. She began her career as an attorney for Georgia Tech where she advised the university and research staff on technology licensing and, and, and I can talk, intellectual property issues. She subsequently served in, a, in both a legal and business leadership role at the Georgia Technology Authority, where she headed the technology procurement function for the state of Georgia, including overseeing several multi-million dollar procurement and outsourcing projects. Tanya's corporate experience in, includes working at MCI WorldCom, a multinational telecom provider subsequently acquired by Verizon, right? And Georgia Pacific, where Tanya was the principal legal counsel for five subsidiaries and their 16 manufacturing operations. While at Georgia Pacific, Tanya established a company-wide international trade compliance program and oversaw the establishment of an office in Shanghai, China. Since founding Osensky Law in 2017, Tanya has has been providing sophisticated legal services to small and mid-sized businesses. Her clients include technology, healthcare, manufacturing, consulting, and real estate investment firms. She holds a BA in international studies from Emory University and her law degree from Tulane. She resides in Atlanta, Georgia, with her husband of 24 years, Richard, and two sons, Adam, 19, and Asher, 15. Tanya, thanks for being on the show today. Welcome. Thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate you including me today. You got it. You got it. So before we get into this, it's sort of an obligatory question, but I'm curious, how's your family handling the coronavirus pandemic and the quarantine? 
Do you have one in college? I know you have one in, in one uh, in college who's been home since yeah, spring break, never right. went back. And one in high school. There, uh, the college one is finished since last oh, week, so they were they were done. And we have one more week of high school to go, and then he'll be done too. And and doing absolutely nothing probably for the rest of the summer. <laughs> I know until we get a chance to get out, right? Yes. Um, so I understand this is a really interesting fact. You grew up in Latvia until age 10. Uh, that's former Soviet Republic, right? That's right. It was part of the USSR when we yep. left. Uh, now it's, of course, its own independent country and mm -hmm. uh, very beautiful. I highly recommend uh, Americans check it out. It's not a well-known destination in mm -hmm. Europe for Americans, but it's really lovely. And do you get back there? I've often, been or? back a few times, yeah. uh, uh, but it was a long time after we left, and we, we didn't go back for over 30 years. Um, oh, so we yeah. just recently went back, and of course it's changed so much. Well, really, I don't know I don't know if rich is the right word, but an incredible history, including Nazi occupation. Yes. Um, and a lot of, a lot of strife in, the, in that country, that whole region, right? So yes. how did you come to move to the U.S.? We were refugees uh, okay. back uh, when it was uh, part of the Soviet Union and a lot mm -hmm. of Jews were trying to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, we were part of a big wave in 1979 when a lot of uh, Russian Jews left the mm -hmm. USSR and many of them came to the US. Uh, we were part of that big wave. And your family moved to Atlanta? Yeah, we initially moved to New York and about a year okay. later we went. we came down to Atlanta and have stayed down here ever since. Uh, so that's where you're raising your kids, of course. And you uh, you like to travel? Love to travel. Try to, um, well, until now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, we have tried to get out on a big trip at least once or twice a year. And uh, sadly, we've had to cancel a trip that we had coming up for the summer. But, you know, uh, that's how it goes. We will get back on the track. I should be on vacation right now, actually. I totally get it. I, yep. I, I wish yep. I was with you. Um. Let's see. So why so why did you decide to pursue a career in the law? And and actually when was that? In high school, in college? Yeah, I really didn't know what I wanted to do all the way through college. And I always kind of thought that law was pretty boring, especially <laughs> contracts law, which right. I don't know how that happened, but that's exactly what I ended up doing for my career. But back when I was in college, I thought it was probably the most boring area of law that you could imagine. <laughs> uh, and then I took a, a class in my senior year in international law, and it was a class uh, taught by a practitioner mm -hmm. who practiced attorney and using a real legal textbook and I just really related to it I I was connected with how the thinking process worked mm -hmm. and the reasoning skills that were required to be good at it and I, I seem to have those um, so I really identified with it and I decided I wanted to be uh, a lawyer practicing international law um, so that's why I decided to go to Tulane Law School, which mm. is very famous for its international law program, because I was under the illusion that I was going to go and work at The Hague and, <laughs> and do this kind of thing, which never really worked out. But it was a lot of fun, and uh, I really enjoy that area of law. It's mm. very interesting, mm. and I love international politics and all of those kinds of um relations international relations and things like that so it, it, i've always enjoyed that and did you enjoy being in school in new orleans 
I did. That yeah, seems like a fun place to go to school. It is a fun place to Maybe go. Maybe dangerously to fun. <laughs> yeah, a little too much fun. I won't say any more about that. Because <laughs> you are a member of the bar, of course. So. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So tell me this. What do you enjoy most about being an attorney? What I love most is uh, in my practice, which is a transactional practice. In other words, I don't do litigation. I help people come together and do deals. And and what I love about that is I get to work with people when they are getting ready to do something exciting, usually, mm -hmm. um, something that they're both looking forward to. I love letting people or, or helping them get to a win-win result where both sides are going to be happy and satisfied with the outcome. Um, that is very fulfilling to me, and I, and I love helping people get to that place. So I know what a litigator is, but I want you to explain to the audience what a litigator is. So a litigator is basically an attorney who goes to court and argues cases mm. in court and does trials or does appeals where they go to an appellate court and, and do an argument uh, in an appeal. Uh, whereas I have not stepped foot in a courtroom in, in many, many years um, and, and don't want to. And you were innocent of all charges. No, just yeah, Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what would you advise others who may want to pursue a career in the law? Well, I usually try to persuade people not to pursue that career, <laughs> but, but no, it is, it's a good career. And yeah. the great thing about a law degree is that you can do so many things with it. Mm. Um, even someone like me who, who doesn't like to go to court, I've had a great career in the law. Mm. I really enjoy my work. I love working with my clients. I love solving their problems. Uh, without being very argumentative and mm -hmm. and obnoxious, like you you know think of so many lawyers, of course many aren't. Um, sure, but the TV stereotype. They have, yeah, they have a stereotype of being that way. Yeah. But you you can be basically any personality and have a great career in law. So it's not just one size fits all. Uh, you and I are both members of an organization called Provisors. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, we meet all kinds of lawyers of different shapes and sizes and backgrounds. And, and there are there are those that are that still have their degree. They're still members of the bar that are practicing maybe in a consulting capacity or they're coaching or they're doing career search or they're Again, you can do a lot with a law degree. Exactly. Um, you landed your first job, your first legal job at Georgia Tech. That's pretty cool. Uh, as a first legal job, uh, must have been exciting. How did that happen? And so tell us how you got there. And then I'm, I'm going to ask you this a few times based upon different positions. But what was your most important takeaway or lesson learned from Georgia Tech? Well, Georgia Tech is a great place. Um, it is a public university. So mm -hmm. basically what that means from a lawyer's perspective, somebody right out of law school, is that it's a government job. Mm -hmm. So it's, <laughs> it was a very, very low paying job. And that's probably why I was, uh, you know, greatly qualified for it. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> uh, but it, it was a very interesting job in the sense that it was a mix between working for a government as well as working as an in-house lawyer where mm -hmm. you know just like a lawyer who who works inside a, a company because it does a lot of uh business too as a research university they do right. a lot of licensing and right. intellectual property development very interesting projects and research happen there so i got exposure to all of that which uh, to answer your question was my best 
experience was just to be exposed to those amazing uh, minds, amazing yeah. inventors, yeah. Uh, and be and having both uh, the exposure to how a government runs things because mm-hmm. it is a public place, public university, so they get a lot of control from from the state government as well as subject to the same kind of thinking that you might get in a government institution, for example, with budgeting and, right. and crazy things right. like that. But on the other hand, it was doing all kinds of interesting things um, that you wouldn't get to do in just a plain old government position because they do all the inventions and research and, mm. and running a very complex organization that has to buy stuff, has to sell stuff. And and then they had the very cool student issues. And, and I got to work on some interesting uh, questions where, um, a, you know, when, when a student group was trying to organize and, and they weren't allowed to speak on campus because their position was controversial. So we had to get involved in some First Amendment speech kind of oh, cool, yeah. issues. So, so it was kind of a great mix of a variety of issues for a lawyer to handle. So then you moved off to the big corporate environment at MCI. Yes. Large multinational. What was that like? So it was uh, it was very um, great as far as having your first big job at a mm. big company, a very established company at the time. Well, we won't talk about what happened to it sure. <laughs> after WorldCom. Sure. Um, but it was uh, it was great to see how uh, how things work in the business world. Where whereas at Georgia Tech they have their budget, it's almost it almost feels like it's unlimited, yeah. right? Uh, and so nobody thinks about um, value. Nobody thinks about how much money things cost. Whereas in the business world, it's all about value, and mm. you have to think about it's it's not just about a budget. It's about you know what profitability and and providing value to the shareholders and and such different perspective yeah very different perspective then back to uh public public arena at the georgia technology authority uh, mci as uh, i wasn't going to mention but worldcom (laughs) took over mci and eventually went bankrupt and Mm -hmm. the company was basically falling apart Um, And so for for my own family security issues, I needed to to have a a steady job. Um, And I went back to the state. uh, But that was a very interesting position because it gave me a lot of opportunity for uh, to show my leadership skills. Mm. And it was because it was a smaller organization within the state. So um, I, I was I could be like a medium-sized fish in a smaller bowl Mm -hmm. versus a very small fish in a humongous bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, one more question, then we'll go to break. Um, How did you make it to an even bigger company, Georgia Pacific? Right. So when... um, at one point, back uh, back when I was a uh, GTA, the governor of the state decided to outsource all of the technology services that GTA was providing to the state. So basically, mm-hmm. the agency went from like 600 employees down to 40. And uh, so we uh, basically had to outsource all of that to mm-hmm. private companies. And when we finished that project, I basically outsourced uh, my my job, my position was outsourced as well, basically. With most of the others, too. Yes, exactly. All right. So when we come back from break, we will talk about your own practice, which you, which you began in 2017. But for now, we'll 
take a sponsor break, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Tanya right. Osensky. You're listening to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan on W4CY Radio. That's W4CY.com. Don't go away. More helpful information is coming right up, right here on Winning Business Radio. You can tell what's wrong with a car just by sitting next to it at a red light. You can tear down a big block engine in 26 minutes. You know cars. We can help you find more of them to work on. And together, we can get your small business moving in the right direction. At AT AT&T Advertising Solutions, we have more ways to reach more people. With print, online, mobile, and direct marketing, AT&T Advertising Solutions has local advertising experts to help your small business find more customers. Call 1-800-GET-REAL to learn more. AT&T. Rethink possible. Have you ever dreamt of being on the radio? Well, now is your chance. Be a radio show guest on the number one ranked internet radio station and promote you and your business for free. Yes, you heard it, free. Business advertising right here on W4CY.com. Call 561-506-4031 now to get booked on one of our shows. That's 561-506-4031. Get your free advertising now. Hey, this is Kenny Wayne Shepard, and you're listening to W4CY Radio. Is your pet overweight? Suffer from itchy skin and coat problems? Showing signs of food allergies? Then do your pet a favor. Stop by Fiesta Pet Deli, South Florida's original and only fresh food deli for pets. Prepared daily and FDA approved with products like Bravo, Nature's Variety, and BioComplete. Listen, dogs and cats are carnivores. 90% of their diet should be meat. That dry kibble you put in their bowl every day contains less than half of what their bodies require. Veterinarian owned and operated, Fiesta Pet Deli has one mission, to get your pet as healthy as possible. Give them a call today at 954-971-2500 or come check out their new store at the Festival Flea Marketplace at Sample Road in the Turnpike in Pompano, Florida. They also offer free local delivery, shipping throughout the United States. Check out their website at www.realfoodforpets.com or just Google Fiesta Pet Deli. If you truly love your pet and care about their health, stop by Fiesta Pet Deli. Call today at 954-971-2500. And now back to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan, presenting exciting topics and expert guests with one goal in mind. To help you succeed in business, here once again is Kevin Hallinan. We're back with Tanya Osensky, attorney at law and author of Shortchanged, Height Discrimination and Strategies for Social Justice. Tanya, uh, you were explaining your, where I asked you about your career progression and then told you we'd come back. In 2017, you started your own practice, so I want to pick it up right there. Uh, first of all, I love your description on LinkedIn, legal advisors to great, legal advisor to great companies. Yes. I like that a lot. Thank you. Um, so define for you what a great company looks like. Oh, a great company is um, any company that is doing good things, mm-hmm. you know, to not 
that is growing, that is uh, trying or trying to grow, that is creating value for for people, whether it's consumers, the environment, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it is it is creating something for this world, um, something new that didn't exist before. Those are great. So, what was behind your decision to start the firm? It's 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 always risky to go into business for yourself. Yep. Um, it's, it's worked out great for you. But what was this? What was behind that decision? Well, I've always been entrepreneurial, and I've always mm-hmm. wanted to have my own business. Um, and I've had a very great career in the corporate world. But I I was always curious about could I do it? Could mm-hmm. I do it myself and be successful on my own? And I was at that point in my career where I either had to do it or just shut up about it because I was getting a little bit <laughs> older. And, and, you know, it was now or never kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I had something to prove to myself. And, and, and I decided this was the time. And it was very scary and risky to me because mm-hmm. I wasn't a lawyer practicing in a law firm where I could right. take clients with me. Right. I had nobody to take with me. So I was basically starting from zero. Um, so it was very scary, but um, it turned out to be something that I didn't need to fret as long as I did. Uh, but I did plan for a very long time yeah. and, and set my financial situation up in the best possible way that I could to prepare for, for my for my new venture. Excellent. So what was your first tactic towards generating new clients? So the first thing I did was to join a networking group. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and we were going to talk about provisors, right. uh, but so I, I want to just give a huge shout out to uh, provisors, or if that is not available in someone's city, right. to join a networking group because it immediately put me in front of a group of wonderful people mm. who gave me referrals to great clients. Um, that I never would have met if I was just marketing on the web or, right. or otherwise. Right. And and those referrals are so much better when they come from someone that client trusts mm-hmm. rather than just someone seeing an ad or some kind of marketing thing on online. Right. Not that that doesn't work, but how much right. better, right? Exactly. It is, it's what, you know, th- those referrals are priceless because yes. they already believe that you are a good person to, for them and they are all ready to sign up with you without you having to do any work uh, to basically sell yourself, if I can use those words. Yeah, absolutely. So the fun, the fun piece of this is that you're in Atlanta and I'm in Boston, but we met through Provisors. Right. Um, and it, it's, it's a, one of those lucky coincidences that uh, the pan- this pandemic has has caused in that all of those those events have moved to like everybody else on the planet zoom right mm-hmm. and one of your colleagues um, was virtually at a meeting in Boston and knew that I had a radio show I'd met him twice in di- two different meetings and he said oh I know someone that would be good on your show could I pitch her to you and he did and you and I talked and sure enough it made sense so yeah, yeah thanks to provisors for sure Absolutely. um Who's your ideal client? I assume they're they're in Georgia, uh, but they don't need to be. Tell tell the audience about that. Yeah, most of my clients uh, are, should be in Georgia since I am a licensed attorney in Georgia, and right. I need to limit my practice to Georgia. But I do have some clients who are outside of Georgia, and I can do limited services for them, such mm-hmm. as uh, drafting contracts and working on contracts. Right. 
Uh, my ideal clients are either a startup companies, uh, companies who are forming and need help with, you know, choosing the right legal entity, setting up the uh, setting it up correctly, and getting those agreements together with the owners between the owners mm -hmm. and, and and discussing how they're going to run the company together and how they're going to deal with disagreements and things like that. Uh, or uh, another kind of client that would be great for me are companies who are B2B businesses who have ongoing uh, legal needs uh, with respect to contracts, whether with mm -hmm. suppliers or customers mm -hmm. or other other parties, um, and um, and they need someone to, to help them manage their contracts or or create and, and negotiate contracts. Mm -hmm. Yep, I see that in the sales world all the time. When the vendor has a contract, it typically has to be reviewed by the, the purchasing company for whatever, you know, redline it if necessary and come to agreement. Another set of decisions is around the legal, right? Exactly. In procurement. And you kind of answered it, but let me ask, are there other, other kinds of problems you solve for your clients? I, I also sometimes help clients with compliance issues, especially mm -hmm. uh, what we call commercial compliance. So whether it's something like privacy law or um, antitrust law or marketing, advertising, compliance, mm -hmm. those kinds of issues, um, th those are the areas that I could help with uh, for, for clients you know, that um, – that need things review whether they're trying they're trying to create a new marketing uh, platform or a new uh, advertising campaign campaign thank there you, you. Go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you um and and they want to make sure they're not going overboard on those claims uh you don't want to get uh on the wrong side of mm. that so i i do review those for clients and then there's always uh at least lately a lot of questions about privacy compliance with respect to making sure your website is compliant right. from privacy laws and what happens what should you do if you have a breach and you need to uh, notify your uh, clients that mm -hmm. their secured information has been breached. All right. Here's a question with regard to you starting your firm. Mm -hmm. um, if you had the opportunity to do it again, what's a mistake you feel you made sort of during the creation of your firm that you would correct? I made a huge mistake right in the beginning. <laughs> I think a lot of people do because, you know, they don't have any clients. So they are they're going to take anybody who offers to be. Oh, their client. yeah. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yes. And um, I, I, I accepted a client who I knew right from the beginning. They were the wrong kind of person for me. It was just mm -hmm. not a good fit. They were trying to negotiate my price with me. And I did it, even though I knew better. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally knew better, but um, I did it, and I felt resentful as soon as I did it. Mm. And this, and 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 then it just went worse from there because they were just they just had expectations that were uh, based on the fact that I did that and made that mistake. I just kept on. It just kept on going, getting yeah. worse and worse, and, and finally I decided this was not a great fit. We need to separate, go se our separate ways, and uh, and never heard from them again, thankfully. And in the, in the South, you guys say, bless their heart. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's flip it around. What's one of the best decisions you made when you were starting the firm? Without repeating, the joining your networking group. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I think the best decision was um, that unlike some people, especially a lot of women I know, who when they start um, their business, they offer to do things for free for people to begin. Right. I never did that, and I'm I'm glad I didn't do that because what it does is totally devalue yeah. uh, your yourself in their eyes. And um, I initially decided to make my price not as high as it would be if I was in a big law firm, right? Uh, but not so low that I was like the Walmart of lawyers. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of in the middle, uh, and and I and I from now from that first client on, I have stuck with that, and I don't discount my rate for for anyone, and I just tell them up front, I don't discount my rate. Excellent, that's a good lesson. All right, I want to get into your book now. Um, we'll start, and then the break will be in about two minutes here. But let's get started on the book, shortchanged. Height Discrimination and a Strategy for Social Justice. So before we get into content, I want to ask about the process. Tell tell us about the process for writing the book. Was it difficult? How long did it take? Help us understand that. It wasn't difficult for me because I've always uh, been uh, a research and writing geek Mm -hmm. um, ever since law school. So I really enjoy, like, here's an issue. There's not a lot of information out there about it. I'm going to research the heck out of this. So that's what I did, and I enjoy writing. So I just started, and it was terrible at first, and it mm-hmm. went through a bunch of edits. But you just, I just start writing, and everything that comes to mind, I, I write it down, and then I go back and, and edit later. Uh, but it was a lot of fun doing the research, collecting things, organizing them into different categories, which will eventually become your chapters or sections. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then kind of, uh, you know, pasting and cutting and and reorganizing things later um it was a lot of fun to do and it took how long it took me about a year to write it Mm -hmm. um and uh off and on and i I was still working full-time in my corporate job while i was doing that on in my evenings and at lunch and stuff not to mention Um, having a family not to mention that uh but it was it was a great project because it got me to think about other things. You know, mm. sometimes we get so stuck in our job and our mental state. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, for example, a lot of lawyers feel like I'm a lawyer and that's all they are, you know. And it's a lot of fun to have a side project where you can be somebody else. Like all of a sudden, I was an author too. And yeah. I was doing something very different um, that was at way outside of my comfort zone. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. One more question before the break, because I know you told me about this in our pre-call the other day. You get a lot of rejection when trying to get it published. Indeed. I want people to hear that you're, about your persistence. Oh, my gosh. I was so persistent. So I, when I finished and I started looking to get it published, first I printed out a list of all the literary agents in the United States. And I went one by one, contacted all of them, hundreds of them. They all rejected me. <laughs> so uh, that was hundreds of rejections. Then I went and went directly to the publishing houses themselves. I got a list of those. That was also hundreds of them. And I went down the alphabetical order and just contacted each one of them mm-hmm. that accepted submissions and got rejected and rejected and rejected. And it wasn't until I got down to the U's <laughs> when I got my first interest. So yeah, just got to stick with it and be persistent. Good for you. I love that story. Thank you. All right. We'll take another break right here. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Tanya Osensky. 
listening to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan on W4CY Radio. That's W4CY.com. Don't go away. More helpful information is coming right up, right here on Winning Business Radio. Be seen, be heard on the Internet's number one ranked radio station right here in West Palm Beach. What a way for your business to have a voice. Now is the time to advertise your business on W4CY.com. Call 561-506-4031 for a deal you won't refuse. Again, that's 561-506-4031. Don't wait. Call now. Hey, this is Johnny Three Tears from Hollywood Undead, and you're listening to W4CY Radio. Have you ever dreamed of having your own radio show? Well, W4CY Radio makes dreams come true. You can be a radio personality on the number one ranked internet radio station in West Palm Beach, Florida. We can be heard in 105 countries and all U.S. states. Promote your business. Earn up to $10,000 per month and more. It's all up to you. Have fun and be heard. Call 561-506-4031. That's 561-506-4031. Start your radio show now. This is Colt Ford, and you're listening to W4CY Radio. And now back to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan, presenting exciting topics and expert guests with one goal in mind, to help you succeed in business. Here once again is Kevin Hallinan. We're back with Tanya Osensky, attorney at law practicing in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and the author of Shortchanged, Height Discrimination and Strategies for Social Justice. And let's talk. Let's keep the conversation going right there. Why did you write this book? Tanya? So um, heightism, which is um, the new term of the mm-hmm. decade, I guess, um, I had never even heard of that term. And obviously, I well, maybe not obviously since we're on the radio, but I am very short. I'm four foot ten. And I've always been the shortest person everywhere I went. I was the Mm -hmm. shortest one in school. I've always been the shortest one in in the room. Uh, But I never knew that that was a thing. I never thought about it. It was Mm -hmm. never brought to my attention that there was a concept like that. Um, I never thought I was being discriminated against. I just kind of thought, you know, that people sometimes talked down to me, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, belittled me, if, mm-hmm. if you can use that pun. Right. But my response to that was always, you know, they're underestimating me. I'm going to prove them all wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, I just got feisty and, mm-hmm. and persistent and always pursuing and trying to prove myself to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never going to let anybody stop me. Um, So I never really thought about it as being a victim or a group of victims until I started seeing this happening to children, specifically Mm. my kids. And when I saw that, it got me so angry. You know, when I saw the way people were treating my kids, it made me so angry and incensed that I felt the need to do something about it. Mm. 
and um, and I started looking around for, you know, how how can I help my kids through this? Because even though I took on a certain attitude when it was happening to me, I saw that my children were reacting differently to it than I did. And I wanted to help them and I didn't know how. Mm. But there was nothing out there like that to help me as a parent. In fact, um, one of the questions I've got is, I would think that many people listening would ask, is that really a thing? So, you know, my question is, do people, would you be blown off if you would say, you know, my son's being, I don't know if you'd use the word discriminating, but uh, treated differently because of his height, people would, my impression is people would say, you're wrong. Yeah, they'll say you're wrong, or it's not a big deal, mm-hmm. or you are overreacting, or you're you're being too sensitive, all of those kinds of things that most people think because they're just not aware of it. Mm-hmm. And they're not aware of it until it happens to them or someone they love, and mm-hmm. then they become aware of it, and then it becomes important to them. But even though we are not typically as a society aware of it, it's actually everywhere. It's in the, you know, the social media world is replete. If you look up on Twitter, um, short men, you will see just the most horrible comments thrown out at people uh, throughout Twitter world about that. Um, It's in the movies, it's in the TV shows, it's in politics. I mean, I know it's a big joke, but, you know, Donald Trump is famous for making fun of opponents and calling them little this and that. Um, But we just don't even think twice about it, even though you would never comment on somebody else's other physical characteristic Mm -hmm. as you would Mm -hmm. feel comfortable doing about height. Um, So it is wrong if, if, you know, if you, if you were taught manners by your parents, Mm -hmm. you don't talk about people's uh, physical characteristics in a negative way, but somehow we all think it's okay to do that about height. Um, Interesting. and my thing is, it's, it is a thing because we should be thinking about it because it's all designed to make somebody feel less than they are. So define short, use the term short stature. And is it the same or different? This is, I hope you don't mind the question because I'm just asking, I totally don't know. Is it different than dwarfism? It is. So dwarfism is uh, a result of a medical uh, disability. It, mm-hmm. it is a, actually caused by uh, something wrong in the body, mm-hmm. something that's not functioning properly in the body. Got it. Whereas many people are just short and they are, you know, just genetic. It's yeah, just genetics right. and there's nothing wrong with them, uh, but they're just short. Because in the case of, of your older son, you were, uh, he was the youngest, uh, the shortest kid. Uh, in his class growing up, and you were right. searching to see if there was something medically wrong, correct? Exactly. So when he, from the from the age of two, he started falling off the growth chart. So if you know, if you have kids, every yep. time you go to the doctor, they yep. plot their growth on this growth chart. Well, when he was born, he was in the 50th percentile, right in the middle. And then, and then ever since then, he started going down and down. And by the time he was two, he was not on the growth chart anymore. Mm. So as a parent, of course, we were concerned and we were, you know, not sure why this was happening. So we were searching for answers and we started taking him to various doctors to find out the cause. And in the medical profession, this whole issue is is very serious, is a very serious matter because mm-hmm. 
a lot of doctors are not even aware of how their response to a situation like that affects the short child. And just even by us taking him to all these doctors and undergoing all of those invasive tests, we were kind of sending a message to him that something yeah. was wrong with him. Yeah. And which is a terrible thing to do to a child. Of course, if there was something wrong with them, you want to address it. For sure. Uh, but if there isn't, it's a, it still sends a terrible message. Uh, but in the end, I'm doing all of these, you know, x-rays and growth hormone tests. And unfortunately, many of the doctors were trying to push us to put him on growth hormone therapy, really? even though he did not have a growth hormone deficiency. Mm. So there's a lot of medical articles out there that try to push, and maybe it's it comes from the pharmaceutical companies, uh, to push this therapy on, on children who are normal in an effort to try to make them taller. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, the, that is just so outrageous because if there is nothing wrong with a child, if they right. don't have a deficiency, what you're doing is, is eugenics, really. It's trying to have a medical solution for a social problem that you mm. perceive because shortness is somehow bad. Um, that you are trying to address it with a medical solution that doesn't need to be addressed. Let me touch on that comment. Shortness is bad. It, you know, we don't see it as that, but yet there, you you give examples of some discrimination, particularly in the workplace. So I read a filing that was on your LinkedIn profile about a woman working for an auto parts company mm-hmm. uh, who made a claim that was denied, but she made a claim. Tell us about that. Yeah, so just last week, there was a case um, that came out of a federal court in Alabama, which ruled against this employee. She was four foot six, I think, working in an assembly plant. Mm -hmm. And the company decided it was a safety issue and they fired her because she couldn't reach things. Mm -hmm. And and the problem is with this kind of situation is that there is really no federal law or, or most states don't have a law that gives employees like that any kind of claim against a company. Right. Height is not a protected class. Exactly. Right? There are a couple of states that do protect them, uh, protect against height discrimination in their state laws, but it's not a federal law. Mm-hmm. Um, so the problem from my perspective, is that if she were disabled, they would have had to accommodate her. Right. If she right. was short because she had dwarfism, they would have provided her a platform to stand on. Or at a job of equal pay, exactly. doing something that's more suited for her height. For her height. Right. right? Exactly. And and being an assembly worker, you know, they could have built her a platform probably for less than a hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, that they could have avoided this lawsuit, but probably cost them thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. So it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Even to even to have the thing thrown out, they had to spend money with yeah. attorneys and uh, all, all else, right? Everything else. Exactly. Um, and then there's some interesting effects that you pointed out in the book about just practical challenges like airbags. Airbags are designed, I never knew this, are designed for someone of, quote, average height for a male that's, what, 5'10"? Five, 5'9 five, or 10. 5'9 or 10? Yeah, most people don't know this, but airbags, when they um, deflate with such force, um, to protect a person, and it's built to protect a person of an average size, a male of an average size, which is like 5'9 and 165 pounds. Mm-hmm. And and so for 
And so that's why they recommend that children should not be seated right. in the front seat to protect them, uh, which makes sense because they're small. They're smaller bodies, um, shorter as well as uh, lighter, and they would be hurt by that explosive force from the airbag. But of course, short drivers have the same problem. Mm. And there's no warnings in the car about if you are a short driver, what you should do um, to to help um, to help avoid an injury because of a, an airbag. So, so I, you know, there's not a lot of lawsuits about this because most people don't know about it. But I think a lot of short people who are injured in car wrecks are injured more from the airbag Ooh, than they are from the injuries that they would have had without the airbag. Tani, we've got a listener question. Jep asked, why was she hired for a job that she was not going to be able to do? That is a very excellent question because you are exactly right. If this company knew that it was a safety issue for somebody to not be able to perform this work, they should have had a minimum height requirement for the job. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. since they did not have a minimum height requirement, I feel like they shouldn't have been able to fire her right. uh, because she didn't meet that. Right. So that's an excellent question. Great question. Um, and then you point out, uh, and you, as you said, you're a researcher, you did a ton of research, that there are lots of career impacts, some subtle, some not so subtle, but there's actually a hiring gap, a wage gap, and a promotion gap for people who are shorter. That's exactly right. And so what I did was um, we have a great Department of Labor in this country that does a lot of statistical compilations of data, and they follow a big, big group of people throughout their careers. And every few years, they assess where those people are, how much money they make, and mm -hmm. all of the different um, other statistical data, data about those same people. So what I did was I took one group of people that they followed, and I looked at, you know, how, based on height and race and gender, uh, what, how much they were making in the beginning of their career when they first started out. And everybody was on a very equal plane at that point in the beginning of the career. So there wasn't mm -hmm. a lot of difference between gender. There wasn't a lot of difference between height or race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then I looked at the same exact group of people 10 years later, so a, a little bit into their career. And all of a sudden you see a huge gap in wages. So we're not talking about the gender wage gap that everybody talks about, which it just takes a snapshot of everybody in the country at one point. Right. This is the same people. Um, and for some reason, there was a gender wage gap. There was a race wage gap. And in addition to those two, there was a height wage gap. And what it showed was that men made $2,000 per inch more on height. And wow. women made $1,000 per inch. So for every inch, you would make $1,000 more doing, you know, based on the exact same person that you were 10 years ago. That's uh, su surprising. Uh, surprising. Very surprising. Yeah. Very Another surprising. question. Pot said, why would companies have to adjust their policies to accommodate to the needs of people? If you can't do the job, don't apply for a job. Interesting question. Well, if you apply for a job and it looks like you are qualified and they accept you to work on that job, then you should be able to perform that job. And if you are capable of performing it, even if it takes a little bit of a, an accommodation, like a platform or whatever, 
if they were if they were legally required to do that for a disability or another reason, then why shouldn't they do that for you? Mm-hmm. Here's another question on the business side. Uh, Darla said, based on the fact that if a company has to run and can't has to be run and can't please everyone all the time, why should they have to change their policies? Well, if they want to be successful, then um, they have to stay with the market, mm-hmm. right? And when you're a company, you have to be in touch with what's going on with the competition. And you are always having to innovate and provide value. So if you want to continue that success and, and it looks like you're falling behind your competition, then you might need to make some adjustments. Yeah. And that's just part of supply and demand. For sure. Um I want to point out at least one example of a, of a short woman, 410, Madeline Albright, right? Mm-hmm. A powerhouse of a person. You mentioned her as, uh, because, you, you know, when you wrote, as you write the book, you're not saying, you're not saying the sky's falling. You're pointing this out, something that you learned yeah. uh, across your career, but also in raising your boys. And then you, you also say that people should not, I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing here, so forgive me, but that people should not feel like, like anything, you're not destined to one Absolutely. degree of success or another based upon any factor, including height. And you gave exactly. examples of very successful people. And I just was struck with, I didn't realize she was that short, actually. Yes, she's very short. And as is Ruth Bader Ginsburg and so many incredible people. Mm. And of course, they're in every profession, even mm-hmm. basketball, there have been extremely short, very successful people. Um, and so that is not to say that being short makes you incapable of anything. In fact, that's right. exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to say right. in my book. Very good. Very good. Hey, um, thank you so much for being here. I want to know two things. How can people get the book and how do they reach out to you if they have a legal issue in, in Georgia? Great. So my book is available on Amazon. If you just want to put in my name or the name of the book, it'll be there. Or you can reach it through uh, uh, Barnes and Noble or other booksellers. And on my website, there's a contact uh, page. That's www.osenskylaw.com. Um, so if anybody needs to reach out to me, you can just uh, contact me through there and or give me a call. Perfect. And that's O-S-E-N-S-K-Y, just so people know. Thank you. Well, Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This is a show about business and business challenges. If you've got a concern about the growth of your company, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or LinkedIn at Winning Business Radio or drop me a note, Kevin at winningbusinessradio.com. Our company, Winning Incorporated, we're part of the Sandler Sales Training World. We develop sales teams into high achievers and sales leaders into true coaches and mentors. We're not right for everybody, but maybe we should have a conversation. Thanks again to my favorite engineer, Rebel Medler. Tune in again next Monday, May 18th at 4 p.m. Eastern. My guest will be Mark Parent. He's president of MAP Advisors, entrepreneur, financial professional, and business advisor. Until then, this is Kevin Hallinan. You've been listening to Winning Business Radio with your host, Kevin Hallinan. If you missed any part of this episode, the podcast is available on Talk 4 Podcasting and iHeartRadio. For more information and questions, go to winningbusinessradio.com or check us out on social media. 
Tune in again next week and every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time to listen live to Winning Business Radio on W4CY Radio, W4CY.com. Until then, let's succeed where others have failed and win in business with Kevin Hallinan and Winning Business Radio.